Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. We've got a lot to come on today's program. We're going to be speaking with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing about the downturn taking place in the corn and soybean markets today. Then in segment two, it is the first Wednesday of the month of May, which means it is the day for the monthly grind. We'll be talking with our friends from the market development team over at the National Corn Growers about what happens to that corn after it leaves operations across this country. And then finally, in segment three, we're going to talk with attorney Thomas Vartanian. He has been very active in the financial services industry for a long time, and uh, he's going to be talking to us about the way the role of the Fed could be changing, given all these bank concerns we've got floating around in the market. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's see what's developing here in the commodity markets. Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing, it's a down day in the grains today, isn't it? Is this all just concern over what the Fed might do this afternoon? I think it's that's part of it. You know, we've we've seen a big swing in crude oil in the last month. You know, we went went from sixty four to eighty three. We're back to to um, under seventy this morning. I think that's kind of been the, the canary in the coal mine, and you've seen it whip around the corn market and bean market. A lot of times, you know, we have not had a weather story yet. I know it's dry in areas, but we don't have a weather story in South America over here yet. So we've got corn and beans being traded. Sometimes these guys can't trade enough crude oil. So they do a surrogate trade. That's one reason I think we've seen so much volatility and why we've got corn and especially corn, you know, at these 16 month lows. Um, and uh, because of, this, of the sensitivity, I think, to um, uh, ethanol. So um, we need a story. There isn't a story right now. If there's no story, then it, it comes down to money flow. Uh, the funds had been long, big, big longs for the last two years. Now they've they just recently flipped their, their short corn and they have been selling a big chunk of their previous long soybean. So barring a weather issue, we're, we're unfortunately at the mercy of the money flow. And right now, you know, um, we're, we're making these new lows. Now, the good thing is, you know, we can't make, we can't turn around until we make our lows. So you know, maybe we get a cleanse here. This year, to me, is looking more and more like 2012. We trended lower all the way through June. And then, boy, we all remember what happened after June. So um, I know guys are kind of upset. You know, this morning, with, especially what's going on in corn, but you know, it's a long marketing year. Uh, you know, so keep keep uh, keep looking ahead. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned the the downturn we're seeing here, sixteen month lows in the corn market. Chris, that's got me wondering. These folks trading the money flow, they're going to be watching for narratives developing here from a chart perspective. Technically, what sort of damage has been done by these drop downs this week? Well, we basically, is an interesting thing. You take a life of contract for July corn and July beans. Very interesting. Go back to the 2020 lows to the 2022 highs. This morning's low in July corn, that's 570 area. It's halfway back. So that's a big level. It's a reset level. These corn, same thing. You take the 2020 lows to the 2022 highs. Halfway back was about 527. So we're at a critical level here. Everybody, you know, the bulls are right. The bears are right. It's a reset button. Uh, unfortunately, you know, wish we were a lot higher. We have broken so hard though. In the last 10 days, you know, corn dropped, you know, 50, 60 cents. Beans dropped, you know, 80 cents. Wheat, for goodness sakes, dropped a dollar 20. But we have at least now starting to see a little bit of recovery. 
um, in week this morning. But yeah, very technical. Um, it's strange how these things work. They don't always work, but when they do, it's, it'll make you scratch your head. So hopefully the worst is behind us. Can we go lower? You know, I don't play that game. I, I, I tell producers, keep a floor under your unsold bushels, but keep your upside open. If you're an end user, right, if you're a bakery or if you're a, a rancher and you buy, you know, inputs, you're always buying corn, you know, this is a gift for them. So there is a bit of a silver lining there for anybody that needs to buy inputs. You're getting a gift there. So I try and be a half glass full person as opposed to negative when we make these 16-month lows. Um, again, just keep remembering 2021, if we get something similar to that, we could be singing a different story, you know, in September, October. Right. Weather can change things in a big way. Chris, you mentioned that the one bright spot really in the grains today is the wheat market. The market that has been moribund for four months has finally got some life on it today. Is this spread action as folks are selling corn and beans or is this a different story that's finally maybe bringing some life to that market? Well, I think it's technical. You know, the, the wheat has completely ignored all the bullish fundamental stories. We've got dryness. We've got areas of drought. We have the lowest acres planted in decades. We've got tight supplies. All things that normally, you know, if you were reading a book, you'd be like, huh, I want to be long wheat. But the market just has not cared. Um, real quick, I'd say the big level here, you got July wheat hitting $6. Market likes to spin around round numbers, $5 corn, $6 wheat. We're here. So, uh, again, you know, when we're at, I think we're at uh, close to a 22-month low in, in July week. Just kind of, it's just been a terrible four months. Um, but, you know, again, look ahead. We are well overdue for some sort of a recovery rally. The funds, the funds, my goodness, they've got a, a very big short position in the week. So if they decide to start taking that off, that could help us rally. Uh, you may see that in the next two or three weeks. But I think, you know, $6 has to hold. But let's face it, for the last two or three months, anybody that has bought a dip in uh, wheat, I don't care if it's July, KC, or Minneapolis, um, you're probably sitting on a loss right now. Uh, so it makes it very, very difficult to, to keep stepping in there and trying to get long. Producers, you know, this is going to go down as a history lesson for everybody. You know, when we're at eight, nine, ten-year highs, that's when you want to do some hedging. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody out there thought that we'd see wheat drop two bucks in a month and a half. But again, this is why we hedge. A hedge just means getting your risk on paper. So, you know, don't cry over spilt milk. Look ahead. Um, hopefully we get a recovery rally, like I said, just like we did in 2021. Excuse me, 2012. Absolutely. We'll continue to watch the weather to see if that starts to develop. But Chris, while we've got you on the line, I want to turn the focus to soybeans. New crop in particular, you've been tracking this closely. I know today we are dancing around that 1250 level, which in my quick glance at the chart, that looks like a triple bottom here in the November beans, is it? Yeah, from, from your lips to God's ears, let's hope the 1250 holds. You know, we, uh, soybeans have been relatively strong. It's the best out of the corn, wheat, and beans, best performing on the chart. You know, so if this is the worst price we get all year, you know, we've not gone back and tested last year's July lows, which is around 1220. That's a big level. We've gone through all those July lows in corn and uh, wheat. So soybeans is kind of Atlas. We'll see if Atlas can hold up the rest of the grain market. Um, but yes, 1250 is key level. And so, you know, if you're a person, you know, got to remember, lots that long ago, we were $14 beans, right? Really, just, just about uh, nine, 10 weeks ago. So if you had any hedges on back then, boy, you know, make sure you take, roll them down, take them off. You know, don't, don't take them off completely, but get paid on those hedges because a month from now, we're back to $14. Everybody looked back and say, well, that was, you know, that was a good, good support level. So it's a key level. 
it's kind of like uh, you know watching two fighters in the ring. Hopefully, it holds. Hopefully it holds that 1250 level holding as of now, November beans currently at 1256. We'll continue to watch how this market plays out. We've been speaking this morning with Chris Robinson, founder of Robinson ag marketing in Chicago. Chris, as always, we enjoy having you on the program and picking your brain from these market issues. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. And folks stay with us when AOA returns. We'll be joined by our friends at the national corn growers association, because today is the monthly grind. Stay here. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. 
For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's time now to turn to our friends at the National Corn Growers Association because this next segment is the monthly grind. We're going to be talking with Sarah McKay, the Director of Market Development at the National Corn Growers Association, as well as Nathan Danielson, who's the lead uh, principal, excuse me, at Biocognito, helping bring bio-based products to the market. Now, Sarah McKay joins us now because we have a very cool event happening with the National Corn Growers Association. It is Consider Corn Challenge number four. Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's talk Consider Corn Challenge. Sarah, before we jump into the details, tell us what is the Consider Corn Challenge? Yeah, so the Consider Corn Challenge, we've had three today, and these are open innovation contests that really look to establish novel uses for corn. So think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at, you know, replacing uh, things like petrochemicals, um, products that, you know, can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. So we have had three challenges so far and are really excited that this year the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Ooh, $250,000. A quarter of a million dollars goes to, is it just the one winner with the best strategy or how does the prize money work, Sarah? So uh, for each contest, we choose between one to six winners, depending on the quality of entries and our judging panel. We pull experts from across the industry to help judge our entries. So uh, we've had um, in the past uh, anywhere from three to six winners. So the prize pool gets split equally between them. Now, Sarah, well, there's a lot to get excited about when we're thinking about new uses for corn. But for some of us, it, it's hard to think about breaking the mold, right? Corn is used for feed. I eat my sweet corn with my steaks. And then, of course, we've got ethanol. What are some of the previous winners of the Consider Corn Challenge? How have companies found new ways to utilize corn? So things like... Um, the products that think like the plastics market or, or products that use petroleum-based chemicals today. Um, one example, Lacryl, um, they were one of our, our previous Consider Corn Challenge winners. They make bioacrylic acid, and that can go into things like uh, diapers for like the absorbency component. Or we have another um, company that won Exopolymer. They're making um, an application that can go into hyaluronic acid. So think the the face cream and the moisture locking properties in your your cosmetic and and, and face cream products. So um, really, when we think about you know these new uses of corn, it can be even things like um, the National Renewable Energy Lab was also one of our winners, and they're making a. a acrylic nitrile to carbon fiber that can be used in the shell of your your vehicles, your cars. So really there's applications across the board. And when we think about these new uses, uh, you know, we think of it more of a, a silver buckshot instead of a silver bullet approach because it's going to take a variety of these new uses um, to help grind more corn. Well, and Sarah, I think that's my question. When you mentioned some of those chemicals, that these corn kernels are being cracked in to perform the work that petrochemicals were doing previously, I, I didn't understand a lot of those names. Those are new names to me. These seem like small markets, but small markets can add up, can't they? 
Absolutely. And really, when we actually look across all our 15 winners to date, if we assume that they get to full commercialization and, uh, you know, assuming a, a certain market penetration, we could be looking at up to 3.4 billion bushels, which that's definitely a moonshot goal. But even if, um, you know, just one of these technologies is really successful, that can make a huge difference to, to U.S. corn farmers. It certainly can. So, Sarah, if we've got listeners out there, perhaps they're working with some companies on that next generation of bio research, and they're curious about applying for the Consider Corn Challenge in that quarter of a million dollar prize pool, what's the best way to do it? And what are the timelines required to get this in and, and keep the Consider Corn Challenge moving? Yeah, so our, um, the contest is open until June 30th, and they can enter um, using the entry form at ncga.com slash considercorn. And um, we will announce the winners at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference in October, uh, so this fall. And um, we welcome entries. It can be anywhere from individuals to startup companies. Uh, we've had universities and academics. We've had government um, labs enter. So we are really open to a variety of entries. Now, Sarah, for folks to enter, do we have to have the the product, the final use of that corn in practicality today, or can it just be an idea that we want to bring to fruition? It does need to, you need to have some, um, a quantity of the product being, being produced. It can be at a very benchtop scale or very, um, you know, initial pilot phase, um, but it, it does have to be um, more than just a, just an idea. All right. We want it in the real world, folks. Check that out, Sarah, one more time. If we've got folks interested, where can they go for the application and the, the rules of the Consider Corn Challenge? Yes, they can visit ncga.com slash considercorn. All right, folks, keep that on your radar. But Sarah, of course, the Consider Corn Challenge isn't the only thing NCGA is doing to help promote the bio economy. Can you talk to some of the other strategies you guys are working on to help improve capital flow into that sector? Yeah, so as we think about, you know, our new uses strategy and finding new markets for corn, we have things like the Consider Corn Challenge that we talked about to really help prime the pump for innovation and get the those research and, and development ideas. But then when it comes to commercialization of these products and actually getting them into the hands of consumers, we recognize that a lot of these, these companies uh, have challenges overcome, overcoming what we call the valley of death, right? So they get to a pilot phase, they're starting to make the product, but when they have to, to scale up and get to, to larger fermentation levels, et cetera, they have a hard time doing that because it's uh, cost competitive, capital costs, um, risk just entering the marketplace. There's a lot of challenges. So we're working with um, the USDA um, rural, rural development as well as other um, industry partners to really develop what does a national incentive program look like for bio-based materials to help them compete in the marketplace, both from a capital offset perspective, but also an incentive um, for, for pr production. And sir, I've got to imagine that uh, those incentives are still a work in progress. Is that your take here on the industry? Absolutely. So we've seen, you know, a couple states be really successful in developing these incentives to support the bioeconomy in their state. But we're looking at how can we help facilitate with a national um, program and, and actual like federal bill language to help facilitate this further. All right. Hopefully we'll see continued growth there. But Sarah, biofuels remains a key component of that corn use group outside of agriculture. Can you talk about some of the growth you've seen there in the biofuels industry, specifically with regard to digest data? Yeah, so we um, again, you know, help to help these these companies overcome the valley of death. We've been working with um, Biofuels Digest and others to help um, put together a 
a searchable database of pilot facilities that these companies can go to to help scale up their technologies. And a lot of times they are utilizing ethanol as a building block for these chemicals. And and I want to emphasize that as we're pursuing these new uses, it doesn't have to be a, a feed or chemicals, um, you know, debate. It gets to be an and statement because we get to utilize all these various different components of the corn kernel for, for various different demand sources. So to me, that's a really exciting um, thing that it gets to be, you know, feed and fuel and bio-based plastics. And, and even as we look at things like sustainable aviation fuel, it just continues to be um, a, an additional market. And our U.S. corn growers are continuing to meet that um, demand opportunity. They are. And Sarah, of course, you're in the market development ecosystem. So you're around this every day. But from the outside looking in, it sounds as though there is growing pressure on using these bio-based materials to solve some of the, the crude oil uh, issues or, or products we have out there in the system. In your From your purview watching this, is that real? Are we seeing the market put dollars into these new uses, these bio-based uses? Oh, absolutely. You know, from the um, you know, from the, the CPG, we're also consumer product packaged goods world. Um, you know, you see all these commitments that companies like Nike and Amazon and Patagonia, you, you name it, have made. Um, you know, and I know a lot of us in the ag industry are familiar with the, the commitments around, um, you know, sustainable agriculture, but we're also seeing it in these sustainable products. And they can only do so much as far as logistics and transportation and production costs. So they're really targeting the actual products that they uh, produce and get into the hands of consumers to help lower the environmental impact of the products that they produce. And that's through utilizing corn-based um, and bio-based uh, feedstocks and inputs into these production processes. It's so good to hear the demand is out there pulling this corn kernel into new uses, finding new buyers out there after the corn gets to the uh, the elevator. Sarah, if we've got listeners who want to continue learning about specifically the Consider Corn Challenge or the other work that NCGA is doing to promote new uses, what's the best place you'd send them? They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses and always happy, um, feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com and I'm always happy to have that conversation or, or come come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn. That's a great point, folks. If we're doing good work, we've got to tell the folks that we're doing good work. And sometimes we've got to tell ourselves the work that we're doing in the industry. Our thanks to Sarah McKay, the Market Development Director with the National Corn Growers Association for joining us for this month's Monthly Grind. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we'll be talking with Thomas Vartanian about what changes we could make to the Federal Reserve. Stay here for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. 
Call for closure protection services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, it is Fed Day on Wall Street, and traders are anxiously awaiting to see what the Federal Reserve says as they wrap up their two-day meeting here later on Wednesday. Now, expectations are another 25 basis point rate hike. Many, though, are going to be watching to see for uh, fresh signs of direction with the Fed's afternoon press conference. What kind of tone will they strike? That will be watched closely. Stocks are trading quietly mixed here on Wednesday morning, while crude oil is, again, extending losses. We've been at a bit of a liquidation phase since yesterday. We're now below $70 a barrel at some of the lowest levels we've seen in months. We're down under $69 a barrel here at last check. That is going to be a headwind for commodities, especially seeing that as a headwind for soybeans and in turn corn right now, while the wheat market is getting a little bit of a pop here in early trade as wheat is rejecting some of the lows and uh, trying to trade higher, maybe a bit of a technical bounce here in the wheat trade. Some of that could be tied to hitting some new support levels on the lower end and also the continued poor crop conditions of the winter wheat crop in the southern plains. We are watching weather, of course, in the backdrop of what's happening in the outside markets. A mostly clear forecast here this week and into this weekend with warm temperatures for many areas. That's going to help accelerate our spring planting pace across parts of the country, including the northern plains, which have been slow to get started here this year. In livestock trade, both live and feeder cattle contracts trading lower as the market bitterly absorbs the fact that fat cattle traded lower again on Tuesday. Meantime, hogs rallying as the market has seemed to come into ample fundamental support from stronger pork cutouts and better interest in the cash sector. We see wheat double digits higher, beans under double digit pressure, corn is caught in between with cattle under pressure and hogs slightly higher. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. And if you've been watching the news, you know that this week, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, has been in a number of headlines. On Monday, their regulatory arm closed and then took over First Republic Bank, making it the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. And then on Wednesday, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell will be issuing the next adjustment in interest rates. We're seeing the two agencies or the two different sides of the Fed, regulatory and economic economic all in play this week. Well, our next guest has some thoughts on how perhaps the Fed could do its job a little bit better. We're going to be speaking with Thomas Vartanian. He's an attorney, author, currently serves as the executive director of the Financial Technology and Cybersecurity Center, and he's worth listening to on this topic. He served in the Reagan administration through the savings and loan crisis and says that he has authorized the closure or merger of more financial institutions than any person since the Great Depression. Mr. Vartanian, thank you so much for joining us today. Mike, it's great to be here with you. Let's talk first and foremost about the role of the Fed just briefly. They've got two major purviews. Uh, Mr. Bertani, can you tell us what the Fed does big picture? Yeah, it's a very complicated regulatory picture. The Fed, of course, uh, is highly engaged in monetary control and economic uh, choreographing of the economy. So they essentially can set interest rates by the powers they have. But at the same time, they've got a regulatory arm, and that arm regulates banks and bank holding companies throughout the country. So they are really doing a number of things uh, at the same time. And then they've got 12 regional Federal Reserve banks that both regulate, lend to their member institutions, and their member institutions sit on the boards of those local Federal Reserve banks. So it's a complicated uh, system. It is a complicated system. And over the past three months, Thomas, we have seen a lot of concerns about their regulatory prowess, given the failures of Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, and now, of course, First Republic. Is the Fed taking ownership, in your mind, of these regulatory failings? Well, you know, uh, I don't think anybody in Washington ever takes ownership of anything. So uh, and I, I've been a regulator. I was a regulator, federal regulator in Washington for eight years, and I have the greatest respect for the people who do that job. But here's the problem. They issued a report, for example, on Silicon Valley Bank last week, and they took some of the blame, but then immediately shifted it back to, their, to the last administration, saying in that administration there was a change in the law, which, by the way, was a bipartisan change in the law, which may have added to Silicon Valley's woes. Now, to me, that rings enormously hollow because there was nothing in that law that reduced the capital and liquidity requirements of banks of the size of Silicon Valley Bank that had anything to do with its failure. What, what, was, what happened at Silicon Valley Bank was uh, actually an enormous mismatch between interest rates, because what they did is they took their deposits over the last 15 years when the Fed kept interest rates enormously low, and put them into safe securities. But those safe securities were yielding very low rates of interest because we were in a low interest rate environment. So naturally, when the Fed raised rates to five, four, five, and 6%, what happens, those securities aren't worth anything close to what they were when they were yielding a higher uh, percentage. And therefore, the value on their books sunk, and that created a big hole for them. And that should have been inevitable. It should have been noticed by the Fed. It should have been noticed by every bank regulator over the last 15 years, but nobody did a thing. 
Well, and I think that's what was so surprising in your recent piece at The Hill, quote, uh, it titled The Fed Wants More Power After the Banking Collapse, We Need Real Reform and Less Fed. You highlighted that the regulators had spent 300 hours with Silicon Valley Bank just in 2021. Would this have been apparent uh, to those regulators? You know, interest rate mismatch, meaning you take funds in from depositors at one rate and you lend it out to uh, homeowners, farmers, commercial businesses at another rate. That is the most basic fundamental economic premise in banking. You can't have a gross mismatch between those two numbers. You can't have a gross duration mismatch, meaning borrowing short and lending long. So when Silicon Valley Bank did that, and First Republic has followed up with the same business plan, that should have been noticed immediately. It should have been corrected immediately. Uh, and the regulators should have taken uh, drastic action as soon as they could. But they sat there for two to three years, basically asking the bank what it thought about the situation and whether it could fix it. And because of that, I think that's why the Federal Reserve is, is trying to push this problem off on other causes, such as the last administration, which, of course, is easy to blame for a lot of things when you're in the next administration. Well, that's so true. So, but it doesn't solve the problem, which is well, these bank weaknesses continue to be out there. First Republic being the most recent one. Uh, Tom, what do you think needs to happen in order to get the Fed on board with managing an economy or regulating an industry that moves as fast as finance does in 2023? Yeah, so that's the main question, Mike. We've got a high velocity economy these days with things moving digitally, the velocity and the volume of money in this economy looks nothing like the 1930s when this regulatory system was created. It's 90 years ago. Nothing today looks like it did 90 years ago. So, so my thesis in, in, in the, in the uh, opinion article that I did essentially is we've got an old broken system that isn't going to stop this financial crisis. There's too many regulators. There's at least six federal regulators regulating banks looking at the wrong things, looking at punch lists instead of the overall stability of the economy, and missing the main problems. How do you fix that? Number one, you get rid of those six regulators. You take away the Fed's regulatory authority. You give it to a single federal bank commission, and they can have representatives from the FDIC, from the Fed on there, and you get them focused on stability instead of rules and ratios. We've got to move away from a punch list form of regulation into a more judgmental view of stability on a longer term basis. And unless we do that and then give the regulators the tools they need, such as technology, to regulate on a real time basis, we're just going to keep having these problems over and over again because the system is old and broken. Tom, what sort of technology would a regulator need in this environment? Well, that's, that's a good question. Most of what I'm saying here is, is the thesis I, I laid out in a book uh, I, I wrote last year, it's called 200 Years of American Financial Panics. And what I said there is that unless we move to a more technology-oriented form of regulation, we're never going to see what's happening in the future because the system is geared to look in the past. So what I proposed in response to your question is we ought to give the regulators the kinds of technological tools that are in the private market. For example, artificial intelligence. I explained in my book how if the regulators were using artificial intelligence rules to predict financial outcomes in the year 2000, they would have prevented the financial crisis in 2008. I have no doubt about it. 
because it would have focused them on looking forward on a macroeconomic basis rather than looking in the past to see where the financial institutions and the economy had been. As long as we're driving down the highway looking in the rearview mirror, we're never going to prevent the crises that are coming in, in front of us. That is a great point. It's hard to drive forward when you're looking backward. And Tom, the other point point you've made in your in your editorial was that this is maybe a time to look at modernizing deposit insurance. What would you like to see with regard to that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Mike. And I think it takes an awful lot of consideration because when deposit insurance was put in place in 1934, after the Great Depression, it was meant to stabilize the economy because banks Several thousand banks went down because the depositors ran on those banks because there was no deposit insurance. Well, in today's uh, environment of social media, the possibility of runs is triggered instantly by somebody posting something on social media, such as happened with Silicon Valley Bank. And the, the other thing that, that troubles me is when deposit insurance went into place, the $5,000 limit on accounts was one ten thousandth of the GDP of the United States at that time. Today, the 250,000 that covers your account is nine one millionth of the GDP. So what we can see is the scale of this deposit insurance coverage has changed, which has then created a larger possibility of run and panic. And unless we pull that run and panic feature out of the system, we're going to keep seeing these kinds of problems. So we've got to We've got to modernize deposit insurance. I think we're going to have to raise the limits. Perhaps we force corporations that want higher limits to cover their deposits to pay higher premiums to the FDIC. But all of that's got to be hashed out. We can't be sitting here on our thumbs saying, gee, that was terrible. Let's just keep going the same way we are. Well, and we've got to hash it out. And I would imagine that happens in Washington, D.C., given the focus on the financial sector right now. Tom, are there any pieces of legislation that would accomplish these goals floating in Washington? No, there's not. And, and there's a number of, of, of experts like myself who have written about this over the last several months saying it's long past time to reconsider how deposit insurance works. Uh, and there's nothing really moving in Congress. And and frankly, I have very little confidence that this Congress can agree on anything like deposit insurance, uh, because it doesn't seem to have the capacity to agree and come to, to any consensus on things that are important to the American taxpayers and the American people. Until that happens, until we get some real leadership, I don't see any of these changes happening. And I just see us kind of moseying along the same path, dealing with one financial crisis after another moseying along the same path folks keep your head on a swivel the financial system is very volatile right now we've been talking with tom vartanian the author of 200 years of, Amer of financial crises and current executive director of the financial technology and Cybersecurity center tom thank you so much for joining us today thank you much pleasure and folks stay with us we'll have more aoa coming up when we return Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. 
to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800 800- 
That's 800-209-6416. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Buyers are still getting out there in the grain markets in Chicago. We've seen corn move from a negative to a positive. We've got the old crop up three, new crop up three as well. Wheat continuing to find buyers. Chicago wheat up 21 to 22 cents so far on the day. Kansas City wheat, that July contract up 33 cents. And spring wheat also moving higher. We've got the new crop July up 18 and three quarter cents. We'll continue to watch this wheat rally, see if it can pull that managed money back into the trade. But the trade might likely be a little subdued, at least until early this afternoon. Jerome Powell, chair of the Federal Reserve, is expected to issue his next rate hike later on today. Now, it is still expected to be a rate hike. That is what Chairman Powell has been telegraphing. The trade is expecting a 25 basis point increase. That would bring the federal funds rate into a range of five to five and a quarter percent. It's worth noting that is the highest rate of the federal funds rate we have seen since 2007. Just a quick reminder as we were talking with Tom Vartanian there, the Fed's Fed funds rate is the overnight lending rate. That's the rate at which banks can borrow from the Fed. So we can think about that as the starting point for interest rates. It's been at zero. So a lot of folks out there across the countryside have seen relatively low three and four percent interest rates because typically what lenders do is they'll take the Fed funds rate. They'll add three percent ish. We'll call that the prime rate. And then risk can adjust the rate higher from there. So as of now, you'd expect to see most new notes coming out in that range of eight to eight and a quarter percent following this hike later on today. Now, it's worth noting that this is expected by the trade to be the last rate hike for some time. Uh, U.S. economist for J.P. Morgan Chase, Michael Ferrioli, says it sure seems apparent that they are going to hike today, but we're also hearing more and more about a pause. So, quote, it seems like, yeah, they want to pause, but they know the inflation job isn't finished here. And that's the concern that these traders are watching. Their concern being if the Fed takes its foot off the gas and it comes to raising interest rates, inflation might keep its toehold and could intensify. Did see some higher producer prices be reported this morning. More bad news in the fight against inflation, certainly a factor that will likely keep Jay Powell to, to hold to his pledge to raise interest rates at 25 basis points later on today. Now, in D.C., we're also going to be talking a lot about money over the next three months. Of course, Farm Bill is in focus. Debt ceiling negotiations are underway or at least attempted to be underway there in D.C. And as a part of that debt ceiling negotiation, recent 
recently, uh, Republican legislators who said they might look to roll back some of the climate smart farm funding. This is that $430 billion that was allocated to climate smart farming in that uh, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA that passed during the summer of 2021. Republican lawmakers are seeking to cut it in the negotiations for the next farm bill. And it's been whispered about in D.C. for a while. We've discussed it with uh, several panelists here on the program. But now we've got the administration coming out and saying they will seek to defend it. An administration official came out on Wednesday morning and said that as these negotiations begin, the Biden administration will fight to keep all that funding in the pot for American farmers looking to move to more climate smart commodity production practices. We'll see how those negotiations play out as this farm bill battle really begins to heat up here over the next couple of weeks. While the battle is going on, of course, there will be a lot of focus in D.C. on agricultural production practices and the claims that can come from some of those practices. We've seen farmers across the country look at putting their operations or at least their products into different specialty marketing groups. These groups utilizing claims that farms can make versus production practices. They can talk about husbandry practices as a way to market their crops and animals. Well, the Environmental Working Group, the uh, the environmental activist group, recently put a call out to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and they are arguing that the USDA needs to prohibit meat producers from touting beef as, quote, low carbon. Scott Faber, who serves as the Environmental Working Group Senior Vice President for Government Affairs, had took a, took a news release here earlier this week, and he said, quote, there is no such thing as low-carbon beef. And rather than try to encourage the production of low-carbon beef, Environmental Working Group believes that needs to be banned as a category for marketing. Uh, EWG says claims like net zero and carbon neutral on food products can have consumers believe they're resulting in reduced greenhouse gas emissions rather than difficult to measure farmland practices. These type of claims will be coming up throughout the year, and it's a good reminder that the ag industry needs to continue to spend money on science and research to be able to show that the claims they're making are in fact accurate. We've got good news in farm country, at least that's according to the Purdue University Ag Economy Barometer. The April reading was out recently, and the barometer rose six points to a reading of 123. Now, producers are feeling a little bit more optimistic about the ag economy in April. It's according to James Mintert. He's the uh, principal investigator there and the director of the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. And what he notes is that a shift in farmers' expectations regarding the Fed's future interest rate policy could be a key reason. The idea that the Fed after today might take a pause, might see interest rates take a breather from their relentless March hires, making producers feel a little more comfortable. The Farm Financial Performance Index from Purdue also improved this month. It was up seven points to a reading of 93, and that is good news. However, there were a few issues uh, that farmers are keeping an eye on. 70% of respondents believe that now is still a bad time for large investments. 39% recited rising equipment and construction costs, and 33% cited rising interest rates as the top reason for holding off on making those kind of investments. And the farm bill was up for discussion. The survey asked producers about the likelihood, their perception, that a likelihood of the farm bill will be passed this year. 
and only 12% of farmers in the survey think it's likely we'll get a farm bill this year. 28% said it's somewhat likely. Yeah, we'll wait and see. And 16% said it is somewhat unlikely. And 13% said very unlikely. That discussion over the farm bill is going to be hot for this summer. They also noted that leasing farmland for solar energy production continues to be a hot topic. 15% of respondents said they've engaged in discussions over this. And yeah, it's something they're going to keep an eye on. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Join us tomorrow. We're going to talk with Alan Bjurga about the coming proposal to modernize the federal milk marketing orders. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. At YMCA Summer Camp, Kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.